not all lawyers are going to be happy being lawyers. And just like there are people who are doing jobs every day that, that don't enjoy hmm. it or don't yeah. want to do it. Um, and, and that's not abnormal. That's not a character flaw or anything. Sometimes that's just where you ended up. The world around us is changing faster than ever. We hear people say, everything's a blur. And when we're living in our little self, a self in survival mode, a self that's living out what others believe we should do or who we should be, we compromise our joy. We put limits on ourselves and how we show up day in and day out. We believe we all have a big self and pursuing it is holy work. We also believe that most of us let fear persuade us not to pay attention to it. So we stay in this vicious cycle between fear and entrapment that keeps us playing small. But when we combine an insatiable curiosity to know our true self with the courage to share our innate gifts with the world, we get closer and closer to our big self. Tom Gotro is one of those we call local legends that we organically find opportunity to speak with. These easygoing conversations focus around building an identity, a self that finds success in the world and how they have experienced building a life in ways that sometimes haven't, but mostly have flourished. Tom's our next door neighbor his father is the well-known novelist and short story writer, Tim Gotro. Tom shows up in this episode with how he grew up and how that shaped him and how a vocation found him that kept him sustained and excited for all these years. I find the conversation warmed up and we ended up landing on generational work style differences, social media, leadership, the art and challenge of giving effective feedback, and the issue of doing a hard thing every day. Like all of our guests for season five, this is an organic and unscripted conversation. Tom Gotro, welcome to the Big Self Show. Good, good to be here. <laughs> well, it is good to be here with you, and I'm looking forward to our conversation. Same, same. One way into a discussion on burnout is to speak with a leader who is actually not in burnout. Tell us something about your story, Tom, and, and how you got to where you got and what drives you. Sure. Um, so... I grew up in South Louisiana. Uh, both my parents were, were college professors, um, and they loved what they did. My dad was a writer, uh, but financially, um, we struggled a bit. Uh, just they don't pay a lot of they don't pay teachers a lot of money uh, in Louisiana. At least they didn't when I was there. Uh, and it, you know, initially, I would say it was kind of I was motivated a lot by wanting to be successful financially, but also um, to apply some of the skills that I think I learned uh, organically through my parents, which was, you know, learning how to study and read and analyze things. And so uh, I went to undergrad at, at Ole Miss and I uh, was actually a marketing major because I like talking to people and communicating. And And then uh, I have an uncle who was a judge and he, you know, made some comment that kind of stuck with me about looking at the law and 
fell into law school at the University of Tennessee, and really enjoyed uh, really enjoyed school. Uh, it was the first time I'd been around a, a good group of people that really all focused on the same professional out, out, you know, outcome. And even though some people want to do one type of law or the other, um, I ended up falling into civil litigation, and, and that you know was really fighting over money in in many instances, and not over maybe somebody's freedom or things like that, which I guess to me, I I thought it was built on some of the educational um, aspects of my marketing career, some of the things that that I thought were fun and interesting um, in getting that major. And because a lot of what, especially civil litigation uh, is, which is what I primarily do, is telling a story. You know, you have to take all the evidence and you have to present it in such a way that it is more compelling and believable, you know, and accurate than what person on the other side is doing. And so um, anyway, I thought that that was a, you know, a fascinating uh, career path for me. And I worked at a uh, firm for a couple years in Knoxville and then moved here because my wife's family's from here. And uh, then just really fell into a, a great eclectic group of people who are, um, you know, they work at a firm called Grant Cumberland and Harrison uh, here in town. And we're primarily civil litigation, but it's about 30 lawyers and we all do a bunch of different things. And so instead of being siloed into, you know, a practice group where all I could ever do is one thing, we were super organic. So we all got to work on things all the time with each other, especially as a younger lawyer. So I got exposed to a, a ton of, uh, a ton of different stuff and a ton of different people, a ton of different management styles, a ton of different, um, personalities. And, um, I think that helped shape me in a way to work well with people in, in both in my firm and then, and then outside. So I don't know if you want me to keep going, but that's kind of how I got you know, to maybe where I am starting now. But I guess your question was about burnout, right? Well, yeah. And actually, I remember you telling me a little bit about your story when you first joined the firm and something about how you just grinded to prove your value for the first couple of years. Yeah, that's true. The first firm I worked at might have been your proverbial sweatshop firm where it was just very, you know, long, long hours. And um, it was, um, you know, I was I was, again, kind of siloed into one or two practice areas. And it was much of the same over and over and over all day, every day. And um, but there were some people there that worked even harder than I did, which was insane. I don't know how they did it, but they did it. Um, yeah. And so when I had an opportunity to start at a new firm here, it was a different type of firm. I mean, it was much more a group of people who even then in like 2006 had mm-hmm. some sentiment of work life balance. Some of the some of the attorneys there did work very hard, uh, extremely hard. But I came in with this concept that I'm going to outwork anybody that's my contemporary because I never wanted to be middle of the pack or at least viewed that way again. So I came in and worked extremely hard, and I loved it because I was working on all kinds of different things. Every day was something different and um, different people. And people with just positive attitudes who knew how to motivate me. Um, and I spent, you know, the better part of like the first five years of my practice just really attacking my career and, and spending a ton of time in the office. But I can tell you, I never woke up one time and thought, oh, I got to go to work today. Every day I looked forward to getting into the office and I still do. Um, 
but I didn't at my, at my old job. So, I so this isn't just like a genetic predisposition of yours. This is because of maybe the culture that you were working in, as well as the variety of things you, responsibilities you had at your job? I, I think it's probably a combination of a couple different things because, you know, when I'm, I have a kind of an addictive personality. So when I get into things, you uh-huh. know, and I'm enjoying it and I feel like I'm, you know, generating good out of it, I, I want to go all in. So, you know, if it, in this instance, it was my career, um, but I also try to apply that same logic to, or that same motivational approach to my friendships and to, you know, my family. So, I mean, people, people know who, if I, if I'm friends with them, you know, I'm, I can be pretty intense. I always like to do fun, big things, like get a lot of things in motion, have a bunch of people. I love pulling people together. Right. Who might not yeah. be in the same circle of friends of mine and putting them together and see yeah, how Yeah, that's how we met. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, and you're, you're my next door neighbor and, uh, we were having this, uh, organic conversation and that, and that is how you've, You've uh, been, you're here on the podcast yeah, right well, now. We, we're talking about what you what you do, and and I find it I find it fascinating. And so, uh, as much as I can learn about it, uh, that's that's part of that's part of being a good friend, and a good neighbor, I guess. <laughs> yeah, well, it's great to have you here, and thanks for uh, offering some of your your uh, your billable hours yeah, well. <laughs> with, with us. Um, I'm thinking of um, well. You know, in, in a lot of ways, so you, you came out of um, not poverty, but but you you did you were aware of not having you, you didn't like that feeling of not having yeah. as much as as much as some of your peers. And um, and so I think that in some ways, you know, we have this myth in Western culture that, you know, we um, we're a rock in an island. We pull ourselves up by our bootstraps and kind of create our our reality. And there's truth to it. But others help us along the way. Right. And so I was wondering, can you think of a mentor or a coach or someone in your life who is just really instrumental in helping you achieve your goals and dreams? Sure. I mean, um, there's a senior partner in our, in our firm who is just the hardest working guy that I've ever been around. And he, he loves what he does. He, he loves it with an intensity that I didn't Hmm. know existed other than maybe (laughs) like a professional athlete who is just, you know, the best in the world, you know, at you know, at what he or she does, you know, on the planet. And you just, you know, like maybe with Tiger Woods in his heyday, you know, you know, that guy loved golf. He had to, he was so good. And he just has such a passion about it. So to get to work with, um, with this guy, um, every day, it's, it's inspirational. I mean, he's, he's one of these people that's like, I don't ask you to work as hard as me. I just ask you to work hard. You know, he doesn't fault you for not wanting to work crazy. And when I mean crazy, I mean like seven days a week hours, but he does have, um, you know, there's a sense of expectation uh, that you're going to do a good job for your client. And if that means working hard, then you better work hard in that moment. Um, mm-hmm. And so I'd say for my professional career, uh, he has been, you know, uh, kind of a guiding light in, in terms of just having uh, somebody that you can aspire to be like. You know, I don't aspire to be that guy, but... Um, I do know that he puts his clients above all else, um, except for maybe his family. Uh, but in terms of just sacrifice and making sure that they're put first, uh, I've never seen anything like it. So, and you know, in that regard, you know, that that would be him. I'd say in my 
my personal life, it's absolutely uh, my wife who is, she's a very hard worker. She has a great career as well, but she just absolutely crushes everything we need done around the house, which enables me and with the kids and everything else, which enables me to kind of focus and I trust her. So if I need to be, you know, kind of pulled back to center sometimes, you know, when I need feedback that, yeah, you know, I need to be paying attention more to kid stuff or whatever, I can take what she tells me uh, to, to heart and we, we all, you know. So in, in yeah. terms of that aspect of the, the two most important people that are kind of helping me succeed is, is probably my wife and then uh, my mentor at the firm. So. Okay. Well, how do you, Tom, how do you uh, view success? And maybe even another way of thinking about it is what is a successful life look like to you? Well, you know, I think that evolves. Um, I think early on mm. uh, as an adolescent um, and as, uh, you know, a kid that didn't have much at Ole Miss in terms of, I didn't have a nice car or anything else. And everybody else seemed to have nice things, you know, but that, that made me hungry, you know, to, yeah. to have a career that was financially successful. Um, so I think maybe early on um, having an honorable profession that was lucrative um, was something that was, was um you know, a driving force for me. I think now um, it's as important that I, you know, leave the office at the end of the day thinking I did my clients uh, a good service and that I was, you know, uh, available to and a good, you know, um, mentor to some of the younger attorneys that are kind of coming up under me and available to those my, my contemporaries who might need my help during the day, I, you know, so it's not necessarily financially driven anymore. Um, just because I, I don't think I could sleep at night if that's all I cared about. I mean, it's, you know, so, um, you know, I think that over time, what you, how you measure your self-worth becomes, you know, it's like, I heard somebody say the other day, it's like, I, you know, I don't need this job to eat, but I need to do this job in a way that I can sleep, you know, at night. Like I need to be able to like, have you done a good enough job at, at it so yeah. that you can sleep well? Or just if I provided something, uh, some benefit to my fellow human uh, yeah. other than just taking their money, you know, and that's, <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. So. Um, yeah. To, to be a value and of yeah. service. Right. Yeah. Um, and, 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 you know, I mean, you, you seem to me to be someone who, like you said, you you're good at like engaging with others, making sure you have that time with them. And you seem to know how to recreate and boundary your time so that you're not burning out. Yeah, I'm definitely an extrovert. My wife is more of an introvert. So I get energy at being around other people. You know, she burns up all of her energy being around other people and then has to have time with a book or, you know, some mm, downtime. Yeah. Whereas I can be exhausted but you put me in a fun social yeah. situation and I'm going to rise to the occasion and, and leave it feeling more energized than, than others. So yeah, I think early on you mentioned something about burnout, right? right? So I think one of the ways I've been able to avoid burnout has been to, or have been to surround myself with the successful people that I find interesting and find me interesting. Um, yeah. that people who, hmm. um, people can help me when I need, uh, assistance in a complex project and, and knowing that I might be needed just out of the blue and something, I could be a problem solver for those around me, mm-hmm. um, that I am fortunate enough to have some really good clients that are some of my core clients that are, they're always going to keep me busy, but that through the skills I've learned over 20 years of practice of law and, and working with a bunch of good people, I can be kind of that Swiss army knife to help other people put out fires 
that are very important to them in that moment. Right. And so I can, I can give somebody some relief by, by resolving an issue that to them seems, you know, catastrophic or potentially, you know, you know, cause a huge issue in their, in their life. And to me, I just know how to fix it. So I get to (laughs) fix it and I get to, you know, I get to feel good about myself for doing it and I get to do it a lot. So uh, I think that that's how way I've, I've avoided burnout is. So you get a sense of completion and satisfaction from a yeah. lot of these efforts. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, you know, it could be something as small as somebody's, uh, somebody's kid gets a speeding ticket. You know, they may not know. They don't know where the courthouse is. They don't know how it's going to go. They don't know what to say. Right. How to, dr- get, how to dress. You know, and I can, you know, help. Even if all I'm doing is going to court with this this child and maybe his mom and <laughs> kind of going up there telling him where to go and what, mm-hmm. what to wear and, and what to say in terms of just being respectful. And, um, you know, that's that makes them feel better. We get through this situation and then at the end of the day, usually everything works out and something that type of you know severity or lack thereof, um, you know, and that even something that small. You know, I, I love being able to to help out. Right. And uh, yeah. no, that, you know, that doesn't keep the lights on. I'm not trying to, you know, do well off of that type of work, but it's it's fun work. And it's and it, it get, I guess I get uh, a type of payment that's different, you know, but but equally important. And you do you are able to have fun when you're having fun and mm-hmm. uh, you, you go out on the boat and you you you, uh, you do things with others in, in a social way and I think that you know we're generation X uh, pretty pretty much yeah I think we would fall under generation X and I think that you've observed um, just I know anecdotally just from your point of view but that um, it seems like what, however we define the generation beneath us it, it could be millennials who I think generally were born between 1981 and 1996 it could be Gen Z um, they're, they're in their early 20s as well but it seems like they are you know there's been a, there's a lot of data and facts that would support that this that generation that that age group burns out a lot that they've have even been dubbed the millennials the burnout generation which a lot of people are saying that that's not fair but one of the the th- i mean they were born that you could we could detail like the you know the 2008 crisis and the pandemic and just the timing of a lot of things have really impacted them on a generational level but there are also these um digital natives and it seems like they don't always know how to turn it off and sometimes when they they grind they don't know how to replenish i don't know what have have you experienced anything like that in as a mentor yourself yeah i i uh i have um uh, you know during covid when when that when that hit uh our firm has a uh, uh, a management structure such that we have a three-member executive committee, and I was on the executive committee, uh, you know, going into through and then after COVID, and I was managing partner uh, during COVID, and so we had a lot of interesting challenges, as I'm sure everybody else did, with you know the work from home mm-hmm. situation and keeping people safe and having to figure out how to how to work together while also not being together, and you know I think I learned a lot about um, you know what made some of these younger attorneys kind of tick and the things that they liked and, and maybe didn't like as much as, as I did or value and didn't value as much. I mean, I value being in the office every day. 
I, I have a hard time not walking around and talking to people and, <laughs> and, and <laughs> right. just seeing what's going on. Um, and I think some, I think members of the younger generations are more comfortable working together, um, both in person and, and remotely. And so, you know, I don't know if maybe that's uh, a symptom of that, you know, they're more comfortable just generally because they've had more access to social media. They are on their phones more. They grew up. I mean, when I, you know, I grew up and you come home when the sun goes down, you know, you didn't know how to get a hold of me because I didn't have a cell phone at 12. Right. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, there's a, there's a, there is a complete different, I think, wiring structure for some of these younger generations. And I think, um, you know, when I when we hire attorneys, we try to interview them and get to know them as much as you can. Uh, they come and they clerk with you for you know a summer or two, and you make a decision if you want them to join the team. And you know, once you make that decision, then you're really trying to you know connect, or at least I try very hard to connect with these with these people once they're here because it's a big investment and they're important to me, and I have to be able to eventually trust my clients to these people. So I need to really understand what makes them tick. One of the things we do is, is the people that want to, we eat lunch as a, as a big group in our, in our office every, almost every single day. And so through that, I've, you know, had a lot of discussions with some of these younger attorneys just about their personal lives and whatever, whatever they want to talk about, you know, what school is like and things. And so, yeah, I mean, they, they are different than we are. Um, they, they view things differently. They're, um, and again, I don't know, I, I can't sit, sit here and profess to, to understand why, um, but I mean, obviously they had different motivations and different things, different problems, different challenges than we did growing up in, in our generation. But it's definitely manifested itself in many ways in, 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 a, in an employee that's different than I was. And, and, and how so? Well, I mean, sometimes you're still going to get the, that the person who's going to come out and just want to kill themselves and work as many hours as possible okay and and, and for their own for their own reasons but uh, i would say you know across the board right i think generally speaking yeah they're more attuned to uh this idea of life of work-life balance right they come in i think with an expectation more of an expectation i think than maybe people of my generation well, I remember being in law school, even though I did well and, and I had clerked and, and, and had a job, you know, lined up for me when I got out. I mean, I lived in almost daily terror of losing my job. Like <laughs> I just had this idea that I was yeah. fortunate to be employed and that I needed to, to work hard. And, um, a little like, almost like hazing. I don't know if it was hazing so much okay. as it was just like, the, especially in the legal field at that time, there was more of an expectation of, you know, that you, you owed it, you were, you, you know, you had to pay your dues, if you uh, will. And, yeah. and, you know, what, what's interesting is like, I have to, I find myself having to explain to people uh, under me these days where it's like, you do understand that when you, you, when you're here more and you're working more, I understand it'd be easy to look at that like, well, you're just making money off of me, right? Because I'm adding to the overhead. Like at me being this is attorney, this associate who's going to, you know, you're wanting to bill all these hours. And, but the flip side of that is, you know, the more you do, the more you're doing, the more practice you're getting. You don't, you know, you don't show up if you join a track team and just run the mile 
without having run a lot of miles before that that track meet. And so right. you've got to put in the work and to be good. And so it's not I think I think it's shaping having to make sure that this younger generation understands that, you know, there's um, there's a lot to working hard other than just to work hard. I don't think they value that initial financial um, success requirement like I did. Uh, you know, I uh, was coming out of school and I never really had anything. I was kind of like that old hungry, hungry hippos game, you know, where it's like you're hitting that thing and it's like gobbling up all right, the marbles. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, you know, as long as I can keep, you know, that intensity and, and try to, you know, have some sort of financial, um, you know, um, cushion so that I, if, if something happens to me or get hurt or sick or something that I can provide for my family and, you know, get out of debt and whatever, um, I don't know that that's the same mentality these days. I mean, that's not the default. Like in some ways, they've absorbed our our culture's values. Like you said, some of them will are willing to just grind, grind. And I think others are kind of like they're looking at us and they're going, "Well, I don't, I don't want to do that." Yeah, yeah, I mean, there probably is some of that, but they probably don't. In they don't. Some of them don't appreciate how much joy you can get out of doing what you love. Mm. And so what they got to do is they got to find, they got to find what they love and that's got to, that's got to be their thing. Um, You know, you can't, not all lawyers are going to be happy being lawyers. And just like there are people who are doing jobs every day that, that don't enjoy Hmm. it or don't want to do it. Um, And, and that's not abnormal. That's not a, character flaw or anything sometimes that's just where you ended up and so i think some attorneys are going to going to have that kind of um going to have to make that decision as to whether they're in the right firm for them or in the right area of law for them or even doing you know the, the career that that engaging the career that 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 they should have engaged in and, and it's tough you know obviously when you get inertia behind you to make you know a jump into something else yeah um what i'm curious what was what has been one of your biggest struggles as a leader in your organization? What's a, do you have an example or a story of overcoming a big challenge? Uh, it depends on how you define challenge. I mean, a lot of what I do is 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 intellectually challenging, and it's sometimes you just have to get going on a project that's very difficult, and you know it's going to take you months and months and months or if you're going into a trial that's going to take you two or three weeks and you know it's kind of like you're in a time warp where you're working like 15 hours a day and you don't you haven't even a chance to check the news so you don't know what's happening much less wow yeah get enough sleep but you know that's that's not i actually look forward to that um i would say maybe uh, a challenge that um i face from time to time is is trying to again kind of segueing back to what we were talking about earlier is connecting to those that are coming you know beneath me these these up and coming attorneys because you know you know ultimately right i'm going to have to rely on those guys and girls to do uh, a lot of the work that comes in and have to trust them and you know um with you know without without any reservations so i again i really feel like i, I need to, to know these people well and some you know are more challenging uh than others to 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 speak to i think that um you know, some are more receptive to criticism, or or um, or more appreciative of positive reinforcement, and trying to figure out how to navigate the waterways of 
you know, or the waters, if you will, of, you know, what's an appropriate way for me with each individual person? And they're all different and they're, they're different ages. And, and it, you know, it's so you have a lot of factors going on. How to give constructive feedback or have hard conversations. That's right. That's right. Yeah. That's right. And, and how to, um, you know, how to be aware of how you're perceived in the workplace as well, because, because, you know, you can, you may think you're doing a great job and that people like you, uh, for certain things and, and, and they may not. Um, and, and so I think you have to try to understand what makes people tick so that you can motivate them correctly. And you also have to understand, you know, how you're perceived in the role as a leader, because if, you know, you asked me earlier, like who was somebody that I looked up to or a coach or whatever. I mean, there, there's nothing I wouldn't do for, you know, the main guy at our firm. And mm-hmm. it's because I know he would do it for me. And he's never demonstrated. He's like the Drew Brees of the law to me. He's like Drew Brees is a professional athlete. He's a big Saints fan. But <laughs> you have a hard time finding yeah. Drew Brees doing anything that in, in any way ever besmirched his character. Um, and, and so that was one of the things I really always looked up to him for is because, you know, he was just always a good guy and he right. just, he, he kept the main things, the main things. And so that's what, you know, uh, this guy at my firm does. And I, and I gotta be that, right. So maybe that's the biggest challenge for me is trying to figure out how to be, how can I do that? Be effective at it. And then also give the type of feedback that people need to hear so they both like me as much as possible, but also respect me and will, you know, internalize the, the, the things I tell them about what they need to do better or what they're doing good so they continue to evolve into better attorneys. As hard as, hard as it is for us to give feedback, you know, I think we... Everybody wants everything to be happy and copacetic and run smoothly. Right. And nobody likes to be, just like nobody likes being a bad parent, like the bad parent, the disciplinarian. Oh, yeah. Nobody wants to be like the bad boss who who's, has to go in and close the door and say, you, you know, you need, you, this was done wrong and et cetera, et cetera. But I think we do that. Our generation, I think, forces ourselves to take those unpleasant moments and just you know, just do them. And we do it out of sense of obligation to, to those, our children or those, those that are working with us at, 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 that may be us as leaders or not. Um, but those are under us, right? Our subordinates. But I don't know that we're getting the same level of feedback from those beneath us because I don't know that they feel comfortable or, or obligated to really be candid or, or upfront with us as to what we can do better. So Interesting. I think that's something you with know, this concept you and I had. We were talking about this the other day, and I thought it was fascinating um, because I know our firm is very open, very unique. We, mm-hmm. you know, uh, we, we do our best to really connect with these, these younger attorneys. And, and I do think that largely that's helping them from burning out. I think that that is helping them understand that this isn't all about the money, that this is about the clients, but we actually care about them as people. And I think that they work hard for an added layer, you know, and maybe there's an extra gear there where they're, they're working hopefully a little bit harder because us, right. As people, they, they want it to, they want us to be proud of them. Right. Uh, they want, yeah. they want to let us down. Um, okay. And how you get that, I think, I think that's how you become a very effective leader and mentor is if people don't respect you and they're not going to do anything for you, 
Right. You know, they're not, not really, not, not like they would for somebody. They truly shared the same value structure. They thought that they were a good person. They thought that they, you know, uh, basically were in, in things for the right reasons. And it's so, the, the combination of fear and, and love. Like, yeah. Yeah. I couldn't have said it any better. It's a combination of fear. I think when, when we were young, I don't know about you, but I think I, I had a lot of fear. Yes. Um, yes. A lot of, a lot of fear of missing out, a lot of fear of failure. Right. Um, and, and, you know, I, with the amount of social media stuff you see, I have a, two daughters that are 11 and 14 and the things they get bombarded with every day and, mm-hmm. and how it looks like in this fake world they're presented with that everybody has everything every day. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I don't know how they, they're processing that. It's fascinating to me because when I saw that in person as a child, it made me hungry and it made me feel inadequate and made me feel like I wanted to earn that by working hard and you know, being financially successful. In reality, you know, I don't see any of that in my daily life. It's- yeah. I mean, I'll say, so like it literally, the data, uh, just layers and layers of data shows that when <laughs> you engage on different social media platforms, but let's just say Facebook, you literally feel worse when you get off of it. Yeah. And, and I, you know, I go on it, not with dis- it disregarding that, but I do have the hardest time knowing what to share at times because I'm like, am I going to be the person that just shares the, the, the highs when I'm like traveling abroad or am I going to be the type of person that shares what I'm eating? Uh, you know, and so I've been trying to think of like ways to just share ordinary things, no, I, <laughs> but that's kind yeah. of boring. So I don't know, but uh, we're, we digress perhaps. Hey, I think the world needs more ordinary. Um, and, and I guess, but to, to, just to finish up on that thought was, yeah. was I, what we saw though, what you and I saw, as kids that motivated us or even yeah. maybe, maybe they made you, I know like sometimes if some kid had a nice pair of shoes and I knew like in, when I was a you know, freshman that I right. couldn't, we couldn't afford a pair of Jordans. I, I felt. I like, had that experience in middle school. Could Yep. Yeah. And so here, but, but you know what that was, what we saw that made us feel that way was attainable. And it was real. It was just a pair of shoes that I couldn't afford. Right. Yeah, these kids are being bombarded huh. with, you know. Yeah, like, all the preps had K-Swisses, and my parents got me a pair of Ruse. Oh, yeah. And I was just really made fun of yeah, for well, that. And I was not going to be a, a part of the, the preppy in club. Yeah, if I didn't get a pair of hand-me-down Converse, all, you know, Chuck... Chuck Taylor All Stars. I wasn't wearing shoes. I mean, and, and but that seems cool now. Yeah, but well, anyway. everything comes full circle. <laughs> but but I guess my point is, but we could attain that. I, like I, that is things. a really good point. So when you live in this kind of realm of illusions, I think that does impact the generations, the digital natives that have grown up with this. I, I wonder if they think that there's no. How do they way. turn it off? Well, but, or there's no way that they can achieve. Uh-huh. So why? Why you know why even try? And so that does lead to a kind of insidious burnout effect. Maybe there's just a bit of malaise. malaise I, I don't. Yeah. I don't know. I guess uh, it, we could probably talk about this for hours. But I, I do. I do think that we. I will say this: the uh-huh. people coming up that I'm seeing are quality people. They're good people. They they have the capacity to learn and work hard. I have a lot of hope for the generations uh, that are that are coming out of school now. Um, I just do think that there is a completely different. A set of motivations mm-hmm. and and I you know I think which is natural yeah, right yeah well I mean it's, it, every generation has their own things but I think to be an effective leader you have to understand 
what makes them tick and be willing to yes. invest in developing knowledge, not only about, uh, you know, uh, maybe a generation as a whole, but about each individual person that comes through because uh, just like each person is going to be different, mm-hmm. you know, regardless of what generation uh, they're in, you, you, you can't, you can't really just classify any one person, but it may, but, but, but by being aware that there is a difference generation to generation, um, maybe it will help us have the tools to open the door to being like communicate better. I was just talking uh, to Scott Simon, who is in uh, Cleveland, and he's written a book called Scare Your Soul, and he encourages people that they will feel happier if they do do one thing that frightens you every day. And I really explored that with him, and I find it fascinating, and the data bears it out. And yet, I find it fascinating, and I want to do it, and I believe empirically, I believe in my head that it's true, and yet, I don't know that I want to do something that scares me every day. You know, and I wonder if, and you know, what's also interesting about it, because I'm kind of like, I'm shifting my mindset, oh, I get to do something that scares me every day, but... Um, I, I, it also brings us into community. Mm-hmm. If we share the things that we're doing that scare us every day, there's a little bit of vulnerability in it. I, I wonder if that's a connecting device for all of us to continue to be growing and to continue to, um, be in community with each other. Uh, I, I think that's a great point. I know that with uh, my daughter, who is 14, she had to give some presentation at school, and she was, you know, nervous about it. And, you know, I've got to, to be a good dad. i got to tell her, you know, hey, look, what first, how do you think I felt the first time I had to get up in front of a judge and make an argument, Right. you know, freshly out of law school? I was terrified. <laughs> but it gets easier every time. That's right. That's and what I understand. Yeah, practice makes so, perfect. Yeah, so practicing doing one thing that scares you every day is a muscle I think that we could all develop. <laughs> and, and sharing those experiences yes. help you be, be present and aware that everybody around you is going through these moments of self-doubt and, and insecurity. And, and so if you can be you know, a sounding board for that person or, you know, or a positive uh, you know, positive, I guess, shoulder to lean on if they need something or, you know, you know, somebody's willing to listen and help them feel that they're not alone in that. I think that's great. Um, but I also think that if what they're doing is terrible, you need to tell them it's terrible too. It's got to be able to, <laughs> you get, to yeah, you get to give it the bad. Got to be able to give them that <laughs> difficult feedback. And, you know, um, I've got some uh, 360s that we can facilitate in your organization. That gives uh, everybody a little taste about that, that's scary to people, getting that kind of feedback. But then they get it, and it's usually just so incredibly helpful. Well, you told me about that, and I thought it was yeah. fascinating. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I mean, I think it's I a great tool. It's got to be. I mean, I, it's, to be it's able to have those difficult conversations. It's invaluable. Yeah, it can be. It really can be. Uh, well, thank you for the invaluable work that you're doing. Tom Gotro sharing some time with the Big Self community. Uh, you just like talking about mentorship, uh, choosing your occupation, your, your, your field. You, you found it. 
and 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 so and there's variety there there's intensity but it keeps you alive and it keeps you motivated and you know thanks for sharing some of your experience and your story with us yeah thanks for having me this has been this has been a pleasure and it's, uh, i'm glad that we're uh, friends and neighbors <laughs> <laughs> me too we are all about big ideas and how to integrate them to live a more sustainable life to open up your learning, level up your self-awareness and consciousness, and move from surviving to thriving to flourishing. And you know where to find us at BigSelfSchool.com, where we offer one-to-one coaching as well as trainings and workshops for organizations, big and small. Reach out to us and see how we can customize a plan for you. And we will see you on the next episode of The Big Self Show.